0: Our first scripture reading today comes from Genesis three seventeen through 19. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eating of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Our second reading comes from Second Corinthians chapter 5. I'll read verses 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the word to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And our scripture, our sermon text today is from Song of Songs. I'm going to actually read uh, from uh, Robert Alter's translation, just because it's really pretty. Uh, This is chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. For For fragrance your oils are goodly, poured oil is your name. And so the young women love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me to his chamber. Let us be glad and rejoice in you. Let us extol your loving beyond wine. Rightly do they love you. I am dark, but desirable, O daughters of Jerusalem. Like the tents of Kadar, like Solomon's curtains. Do not look upon me for being dark, for the sun has glared on me. My mother's sons were in cis with me. They may be a keeper of the vineyard, my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me whom I love so, where you pasture your flock at noon, lest I go straying after the flocks of your companions. And also chapter 2, 8 through 17. Hark, oh my lover is coming, bounding over the mountains, leaping over the hills. My lover is like a deer, or like a stag, Oh, he stands behind our wall, peering through the windows, peeping through the crannies. My lover spoke out and said to me, Arise, my friend, my fair one, go, for look, the winter is past, the rain has gone away. Buds can be seen in the land, the nightingale season has come, and the turtledove's voice is heard in our land. The fig tree has put forth its green fruit, and the vines and blossom waft with fragrance. Arise and go, my friend, my fair one, go forth. My dove in the rocks, crevices in the hollow of the cliffs, show me how you look. Let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your look desirable. Seize us the foxes, the little foxes, despoiling the vineyards, but our vineyards are in bloom. My lover is mine and I am his who grazes upon the lilies. Until morning's breeze blows and the shadows flee, turn round, be like a deer, my love, or like a gazelle on the cloven mountains. So we are continuing our study of the book of the Song of Songs. Now, if you'll recall from last week, I laid out two principles uh, we need to keep in mind as we look through this confusing, difficult, but very beautiful text. First, Song of Songs is poetry, and we need to read it using different rules than we are used to using when we read and understand the Bible. Song of Songs has to be read as poetry, and that means it is not a straightforward narrative or a work of theology. The song meanders, it repeats. It is interested in engaging our emotions as much as our intellect. It wants us to feel and experience it. Even more confusingly, the Song of Songs delights in drawing unexpected and weird comparisons. Concepts and ideas are mixed and reformulated, often in ways that are uncomfortable and weird for us. Often, Song of Songs is referring to exactly what you think it is. But it does not exclude another simultaneous meaning. And the point of this, there's actually a point of this, this isn't just to do it. It's because it wants to stimulate us into thinking in new and different ways. We are to see the transcendent in the familiar and therefore to have a richer and fuller view of the world. That is simply what good poetry does and always has done. The second point is that the best way to understand the Song of Songs is to see the song as a return to the Garden of Eden. The Song of Songs is full of garden and natural imagery. Song of Songs is a song of what happens when Eden is regained. In the garden, the problems that result from the curses of Genesis 3 are partially alleviated. So what we have is an imaginative glimpse of the world healed and a couple who experience this world in all its joy. That is why the message of the Song of Songs can only be told in song or poetry. A simple narrative or statement of facts just isn't good enough. It simply won't do. And today what I want us to do is take these two points and see how we can use them to better understand one theme of the Song of Songs that is found in our passage today. And what basically we're going to take the same approach with a different theme over the course of the next few weeks. So we begin in verse 2. And we are introduced to a woman deeply and passionately in love with a man. The love is described in soaring terms, better than wine. Uh, leading her to run after him. However, in verse five, we learn that all in this world is not wine and anointing oil. The song will remind us though we are grasping at Eden, there are still threats and challenges. We aren't quite there. We have an idealized vision of Eden recovered, but only partially. And I think that's an important point for us to realize as we study the psalm because it's not about the future state. We're not talking about the new creation, the new heavens and earth. What we find, uh, we don't find perfection, but we do find a, a, a story of returning to the garden in this actual world. Listen to how the woman is described in verse 5. I am dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem... The woman goes on to offer an explanation for the darkness of her skin. In verse six, we learn that her race, this isn't racial, is not the issue here, but rather her brothers who made her work in the vineyard. Working outside would result in her skin becoming tanned by the sun. Her darkened skin would have marked the woman as a peasant in contrast to wealthier women who stayed inside and would have had paler skin. The woman, though, does not apologize for her darkened skin. Instead, she compares herself to the tents of Kadar and Solomon's curtains. Now, that probably doesn't resonate much with us. That's okay. Uh, But uh, just to let you know, Kadar was a Bedouin tribe that lived in the desert. And they were known for their tents that were made from this beautiful black goat hair. Uh, so what's going on here is that, so while the woman compares herself to this beautiful nomad's tent, she also claims to be as beautiful as the curtains made for a king. Her comments are directed at the women of Jerusalem who likely think of themselves as sophisticated and superior to some tan peasant woman. Now her lover then is described as a herder. He's a shepherd. He herds sheep and goats. In verse 7, the woman asks where he pastures his flocks. Even though the man is often described in royal terms, we found that more often than not, he's in the pastures in the fields. Throughout, we find the ideal of this song is outside the city and away from Jerusalem in the natural world. To find Eden, we must venture away from the city and back to creation. Now, in verse 211, so if we go to the second chapter now, we read that winter has passed and we find that spring has begun to emerge. We have this beautiful picture that the song is painting for us of spring unfolding with new growth and flowers abounding. These pictures of spring are very common in the song, which is why I thought this is a great time to study this book. And we could not have better weather. And I think it's awesome, actually, that we're out here outside celebrating church and reading this book, because I think it resonates with us. No doubt if this song were set in North Carolina, which, I mean, admittedly, as close to Eden as we can get, uh, we would be talking about the dogwoods and red buds and azaleas blooming and the strawberries almost ready for picking. So we can resonate with this, uh, even though this is foreign. Verse 12 says that the time has come for, and, and some of your translations might say singing, some might say pruning. Um, either word is actually acceptable because the time of pruning, which is done in preparation of growth, is a time of celebration. People would sing songs. It was a time to get excited. It's just like right now when we drive down the highway, who's seen the signs that say like two more weeks until strawberries? I love strawberries, by the way, so... Right now is my favorite time. Um, verse twelve uh, talks about this. Grapes are starting to develop on the vines. The grapes are vulnerable at this point, though, and they can be consumed by foxes in the same way that we know here that our gardens can be attacked by deer. And what the what the what the song is saying is that the couple must catch these foxes in order to protect the vineyard. It's a beautiful picture of the joy of work as spring unfolds. So if you've been following along here, you may have uh, begin to see a pattern. A woman who works in a vineyard, a king who works as a shepherd, and now a couple who join together to harvest a vineyard. There's a progression as this song unfolds of work uh, that starts as a punishment imposed on the woman by her brothers, And ends with these two lovers working the vineyard together. So if we follow this line of thought while also thinking in the context of the Garden of Eden, a theme begins to emerge here. In Genesis, the garden was not just a place for Adam and Eve to hang out. This is what, kids, this is what we were talking about in communion class today. Adam was placed in the garden in order to serve and keep it. The first couple were active participants in God's creation and they were given agency, dignity, and integrity, responsibility by God. When God determined that it was not good for Adam to work the garden alone, God created a helper for Adam. They were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the garden as well as to rule over the creation. Just as God had taken the void and formless universe and shaped and filled it, Humanity was to do the same with the garden. Humanity was, in other words, to imitate God's work of creation on earth. What a beautiful picture. I mean, like talk about purpose-driven life. I mean, this is imitating God himself, the creator. What an amazing status we were given. Gardening and care for the farm and wild animals, humanity was to continue God's work. Work of bringing life and flourishing and abundance to creation promoting and managing its growth. This was the ideal that humans were created for of course we know the big problem according to scripture is that we surrender that responsibility to something else money, power uh, etc and the result is sin the Old Old Testament has a term for this it's called idolatry In the garden, we see this played out when the humans give authority to the serpent, choosing to follow his wisdom, a created being that they were meant to rule over rather than listening to God. And the result is what we find in our scripture reading from Genesis 3. Here's what happened to our work as the result of the fall. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. What we have after the fall is work frustrated. Now we may not be farmers, but I think all of us feel this. All of us know the drudgery that our labor has become. Wherever our setting, at the workplace, at home, at school, some of you kids can really relate to that. It doesn't matter if we're students, adults, whatever. We experience this. We have experienced the pain and futility of it all. It's hard and often unfulfilling. You know, I was listening uh, with my kids to this podcast, and it was telling the story of an astronomer. Uh, she, and, and what was interesting was she credited her parents with providing her with the opportunity to become an astronomer. She was actually from Turkey. And she talks about how her father was really active in this regard. And the reason why was because he was forced to quit school after the fifth grade. And he had to go to work. He had to make money for his family. He couldn't, he wasn't allowed to go to school anymore. And he always regretted not having the opportunity to go further in life. How tragic. And it's probably an incredibly common scenario around the world. here is this man was not allowed to live up to his potential, to flourish, to be a full human being that he was created to be because of the corruption and brokenness of the world. This is a perfect example of the suffering in this world in which work has been changed from something joyful, a joyful responsibility to a crippling chore of necessity. However, the Song of Songs is presenting us with a picture of work redeemed. The poet imagines what it would have looked like in the garden for Adam and Eve. In the story of their lovers, they work together in joy as they care for the vineyard. Even the threat of the foxes seems more playful in this song than threatening. The result is that fertility, abundance, growth, and love surround the couple as it was meant to be. We have just this beautiful language and picture here. And that's what we're supposed to experience as we read this song. In Song of Songs, we have an elevation of labor, which was used as a punishment by the woman's brothers and despised by the ladies of Jerusalem. But it's reclaimed by this couple who provided illustration of what work would look like in the garden. They have reclaimed work as a positive and not the drudgery it had become after the fall. So again, what we have in this songs. is is a picture of an example of exercising our theological imagination. That's what the songwriter is doing here. How could the greatness, beauty, and sublimity of these ideas be expressed any other way than this song, poetry? Ordinary language just can't do it justice. Now, I can understand, though, you might be thinking, like, that's great, this is beautiful, I'm on board, I get it, but... What does it have to do with us? What do we take out of this? Well, I think this goes back to my point about imagination being an important spiritual practice. At the cross, something happened. A revolution was launched and the kingdom that Jesus repeatedly said was at hand has broken into our world. As Christ's disciples, it is our job then to realize his kingdom in this world. We therefore have a vocation, a job, a profession that transcends this world. And that goes for each of us. A new garden of Eden is here. And like Adam and Eve, we have been given the responsibility of serving and guarding it. We find Paul, again Paul, uh, making exactly this point in our passage from 2 Corinthians. Listen to how Paul begins his argument. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and it's actually more emphatic in the greek than this translation would suggest the word he the words he is has been supplied it's been added it's not there in the greek in fact if you read it literally from the greek it reads therefore if anyone is in christ new creation Paul is trying to get across the radical message of of his point here. And his point is that if we are Christ followers, then we are part of this new creation. We are part of this resurrected world of Christ's kingdom that's been launched by Jesus' crucifixion, death and resurrection. And we are part of that world now. This is not some future hope. This isn't heaven. It's a real world present day reality. If you are in Christ, New creation. Paul then uses this premise, though, to go further. He works out an implication of this. Once again, he's imagining, and then he's drawing practice out of this. Because we are part of this new creation, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Paul goes on to tell us that we've been trusted with a message of reconciliation. In fact, Paul tells us we should think of ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. So an ambassador is an official who represents his own state in a foreign land. The ambassador delivers messages from his own kingdom and speaks with the authority of his king. Paul tells us that because we are now part of the new creation, we are given this status as ambassadors. From the kingdom of new creation into the old creation. Paul is using his spiritual uh, uh, imagination to recommend for the Corinthians a practice in their everyday world. Imagine you were ambassadors of the new creation, Paul tells us. So what is our mission as ambassadors of this new creation? Paul tells us. It's reconciliation. Reconciliation occurs five times in this passage. And what I wanna propose is that that is our vocation as new creation ambassadors, we act to bring about reconciliation in this world. So what does Paul mean by reconciliation? Good question. So the Greek word here is katalaso. And it was first used in the idea of exchanging coins. So you would take one coin and exchange it for another. And the idea is that you're exchanging your coins representing the old creation for different coins representing the new creation. Now, I think if you're like me, our first tendency when we start thinking about this is to take this word reconciliation and spiritualize it. We want to turn it into something like ministry, evangelism, something like that. And it can be that, that's not wrong. But I think if we start thinking about these things and the idea of Genesis and start thinking about them in Song of Songs, we realize that this is much more than that. New creation is much bigger than that. We are meant to change the old creation and make it look like the new creation. Just like Adam and Eve were to promote the growth and flourishing of Eden, We are to promote the growth and flourishing within this world. We are to regain Eden, just as the couple are working to do in the song. And that includes our work and vocation in this world here and now. And if you want to know what that looks like, I think a good place to start is the ministry of Jesus. Jesus not only preaches the kingdom, but through his actions, shows us what the kingdom looks like. Jesus heals, he includes outcasts, he feeds the hungry, he calms the storms, he confronts the dark forces of the world. Basically what Jesus does all throughout the gospel is take what is broken and fixes it. This is what reconciliation looks like. What Paul tells us is that as Christ's followers this is our job and now the new creation is broken in this vocation has been redeemed so it is no longer a curse but a joy. Song of Songs is giving us a glimpse of the joy. And the song shows us what the joy would look like. And what I think is great about the songs is it shows that it's happening in the, the couple's own context. Some of us can use our actual jobs as work of reconciliation. Some can It's not as easy. For others, it's difficult. Either way, the ministry of, of reconciliation should not be made into some overly spiritual ideas. What we are called to do is illustrate and enact the new creation in this world. Like Adam, and like the picture in the song, we are to work toward beauty, abundance, flourishing, and life. What does that look like in your context? Guess what that requires? Imagination. Maybe if you're a student, it's about including someone who has been excluded. Maybe it's about teaching your children to treat everyone with dignity and respect. Maybe it's about putting people before prophets. Maybe it's about taking an extra moment to be kind to someone who does not deserve it. Maybe it's about, as a church, getting involved with a project to feed people. In all these ways, we imitate the ministry of Christ. We are acting as ambassadors of reconciliation. When we promote healing, abundance, blessing, flourishing, life, peace, we are at the vanguard of the new creation, breaking into this world. It will take many forms. It will look different from each of us. But in the end, it is the true vocation we are being called to. If we want a true purpose for our lives, if we want to truly be human, this is what it looks like. It's how we fulfill our purpose and how we truly can become human. So that is our task, to imagine resurrection.